Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, 102.1 FM, your local Brisbane community radio station. My name's Andy, I will be with you for the next hour, and it's great as always coming in with that show, Garanginanami. I always intend on playing a different version of it, there's a few different recorded versions around, but I never get around to it. It is of course a, a song of welcome of Aboriginal nations in this part of the country, one that's linked not only to uh, welcoming other people and their ideas that they bring, but also the idea of a connection to a place and that you have, that you can allow other people onto your place. And on the Paradigm Shift, for the second week in a row, we're going to be talking about placemaking and this idea. Last week, I interviewed David Engwicht, one of the theorists, I guess, of this idea of placemaking, and we talked to him. There's so many things to talk about, about what it means to inhabit a place, what um, effect we have to transform the places around us, and what effect the places around us have on us. And so, the as uh, Henri Lefebvre said, the right to the city is the right to transform ourselves by transforming our surroundings. Because, of course, the places that we live in shape um, often our activities, our interactions. They can also shape the, the way that we imagine life, the possibilities that we can imagine. If we live in a, a place that is shuttered off to different possibilities, then we are less likely to believe that different things are, are out there and are possible. And so I'm very interested in this idea. Um, I have been for a long time. And so this week... We're going to do another show on placemaking. I spoke this morning to Eloise Telford, who um, works as a community development worker and has specifically worked on placemaking projects. And I talked to her a bit about some of those projects, but also about the the politics of this uh, versus kind of council design um, and working with councils and with the, I guess, official system to shape places um, against the idea of informal placemaking. And then I also spoke this morning to Sophie Thompson. She's been involved in the Kangaroo Point blockade uh, outside the Kangaroo Point Central Apartments Motel. Over the last couple of months on Paradigm Shift, we've devoted a couple of shows to talking to refugees who are locked up inside there and protesters who have been uh, trying to stop the forced transfer of those refugees, but also trying to bring attention and agitate for their release. And so I spoke to Sophie about what it's meant, the use of physical space in that protest. It's a very interesting example in that it's something that has very much used that space. It's had a 24-7 presence around 
um, that centre. And so it is a, a really interesting example of, I guess, a, a radical placemaking. So that's what's coming up for the next hour. We'll also, like we did last week, we'll play some great songs that uh, name check Brisbane places. And so before we get into the interviews, maybe we'll start off with one of those songs. This is Big Iron with Milton.
That is Big Iron there with Milton, their little tribute to the Inner West. Um, more songs to come featuring your favourite Brisbane localities. But for now, this is an interview that I did with L Telford about placemaking. Can you start off by introducing yourself? Um, so my name is Eloise Telford. Um, I was born on Gaibo and Jarawa country up in Toowoomba. My background is in linguistics and culture, but more recently I studied development practice. And you're somebody who's very interested in this idea of placemaking. How would you define placemaking? Yeah, so I guess I kind of fell into placemaking through tactical urbanism. Um, for me, I think it is all about people. It's about people and their connection to the places and spaces that they interact with. Um, but I also think that placemaking has taken a lot from the design and planning industries over the last few decades, um, when originally it kind of started out as um, more of a place-based version of community organising. So that phrase tactical urbanism that you use that refers to a kind of DIY placemaking, guerrilla gardens or street parties or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So um, tactical urbanism is when it's sort of done from the bottom up. And I guess placemaking is a little bit different in that it also sort of brings in some of those bottom up top-down kind of approaches where um, we're actually working with decision makers to make sure that what we're doing is a bit more sustainable. So a lot of the time I see activism kind of takes one step forward and two steps back, but, um, you know, like guerrilla gardens get taken out by council or like street art gets um, painted over. But with placemaking, it's about ensuring that those um, activations actually get to stick around because the people in power actually... Um, working with the community and actually like trusting the community that they kind of know what's best for their place. So there's placemaking as like a specialist field, but how does that... Really realise that we're doing it. Um, So, yeah, when you're planning a community garden or um, doing yarn bombing on your street, that could be a form of placemaking. But I feel like a lot of people don't actually feel like they have the social licence to do those things. So... Um, as an example, I was walking down King Street recently and there's a little herb garden on the side of the road and I pick some parsley. Um, and because I have personally had experiences with community gardens, I kind of felt like I had the social licence to pick that parsley. Um, but a lot of people don't really have that. They haven't really been initiated into that. So um, this is about yeah, showing people that they do have the power to interact with the world around them and to shape it. Hmm. Things like herb boxes out the front of people's houses are an example of a very informal kind of placemaking, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So, I guess taking placemaking and contrasting against other design principles by which our city is ordered, how does placemaking contrast with the standard council design? <laughs> Um, So we're kind of seeing a lot of placemaking frameworks starting to kind of find their way into what council does. Um, Brisbane and a lot of other um, councils around um, are starting to implement them. Um, So placemaking also takes a lot from human-centred design. That's one of the other design principles that we use a lot. So human-centred design is kind of what it sounds like. It's um, about putting people in the centre of your design process. Um, And... The great thing about human-centred design is that 
it's it really values the not knowing in a process so not knowing exactly where you're going is actually a good thing um and it's actually a space to innovate um so recently i was working on a project in the valley um with some landscape architects and we were working with the community and i kept being asked you know what does the end product look like where are we going how long does it take to build a community um and the answer is there's there is no answer to that it it's an ongoing process and it's never finished um and yeah that's that's kind of where we innovate is is actually being a facilitator and allowing that community vision to just organically arise Mm. So beyond making spaces look nice, um, which is probably the way that council often wants placemaking <laughs> to be, what what's the social value of placemaking? Uh, so I think we're super disconnected in the West at the moment. You know, um, the current economic system, the media cycle, technology, like all of these things are having a really adverse effect on how we relate to each other. So I think placemaking kind of shows us that we can actually exist in our streets and in our neighborhoods and in reality like we're supposed to live in these multi-generational communities and it's okay to not agree with people or to like people but we all are a community anyway um i think with the internet we kind of exist in these little social bubbles and i think placemaking can really break those down um we also did um, a play street near my house recently and just getting older people and younger people together. We saw all this amazing sharing going on. One guy offered, you know, to fix people's bikes. Another person had a pool and they said, come around in summer. So um, we can, yeah, we can share resources and we can break down all those barriers that might exist online or in other spaces. Mm. I mean, yeah, also our... Our streets beyond, you know, online silos. Like our streets are, we don't necessarily interact with the people around us, mm. and there's a kind of lack. I guess you you can look at the privatization of services. Is that mm. things that your neighbours and friends once maybe did? Now there's a whole industry of mm-hmm. services that fill these needs, mm. fixing bikes or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, in that play street, we didn't exchange any money people fed each other and and looked after each other and we didn't need to pay anyone anything everyone just kind of gave what they had and a lot of the time that's what we find is that there are so many resources that aren't being tapped into um with the same project in the valley we did a map of all of the surrounding businesses and what sort of knowledge and resources they had and it was amazing they there were people in hospitality and events there was all this you know furniture there was everything that we needed to put on things for the community I want a market girlfriend Reckless too far away I want a market girlfriend She'd be only one stop away She'd be only one stop away We could dance all night On the beach, sleep outside we can walk bare feet and ride our bikes down Rainbow Street I want a Margate girlfriend, also on the Brisbane shore I want a Margate girlfriend, we could meet at a mom's front door We could meet at a mom's front door Cricket in the backyard, six and a 
too far away I want a Margate girlfriend She'd be only one stop away She'd be only one stop away Cricket in the backyard Six and you're out of here That is Harley Young and the Haymakers there with Margate Girlfriend from their classic album a few years ago, Flinders Parade, which is has many songs dedicated to the northeastern suburbs of Brisbane, I guess. Um, Balls Deep in Boondle, another classic one. Uh, we are talking about place, hence the fact we're playing all songs about Brisbane places on the Paradigm Shift today. And before Harley Young there, I was speaking with Eloise Telford about this idea of placemaking. Um, let's go back to that interview. So what's some of the historical background of placemaking as an idea? So um, I was really lucky to meet Kathy and Fred Kent last year. Um, and I guess when Fred talks about where placemaking came from, he talks about this group of urbanists in the 60s and 70s in the US. Um, so those are people like William H. White and Margaret Mead and Jane Jacobs. Um, and what these people were doing was actually looking at how people interact with the street. So they were really observing and starting to see that life of the street. Um, and I guess their ideas about how we can centre people in the city-making process really just started to kind of ripple out from there. Um, but then, you know, acknowledging at the same time that I think connection to place has always been something that humans have done. And we live on a continent where connection to country has been something, you know, has had its place for 80,000 years. Hmm. What about, I think there are, have been radical political theorists who... Uh, try to talk about you know how we interact people like the situationists or Henri Lafay David Harvey um, mm-hmm. this, people who bring a quite a radical political view 
do you think they have an influence in this outside of those design professionals? Definitely, yeah. And, I mean, I personally think that everything is political, um, but I think that it's interesting that placemaking tends to try to break down those silos and tries to, you know, I, I really see, like, the place of... Um, not involving party politics in, in city making and kind of looking beyond that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's important to... Like, as, as someone with a community development background, I always think about power. Like, politics is, is really about power and and what placemaking tries to do is put power back into people's hands, into the community's hands. So we need to look at who is this community? And a lot of the time, the people that actually have, like, the time to get involved in these kind of projects already have a lot of privilege, they're educated, they have time. Um, and so that's something that, as placemakers, we need to continually look at and, and always sort of prioritise in our work is how do we make sure that as many voices as possible are being heard? Mm, because... Yeah, you sort of mentioned that placemaking tries to be beyond politics as in a, a partisan kind of idea. But um, is this a reality when the spaces that we exist in are affected by the power structures of our society? Yeah, and that's I guess that's why um, I think placemaking kind of can bring people together outside of those um, maybe political perspectives. So when you bring people together on a play street, um, there are people from all different types of backgrounds, all different political persuasions, but they're sort of coming together over the fact that they're sharing space. Um, and I think that's a political act in itself, you know. As an example, say in West End, where we are at the moment, mm -hmm. there's been a, a battle over recent years, I guess, between... Um, the West End Community Association and other people who like this idea of West End as a, a little village mm -hmm. for of, you know, Greek grandmas and mm -hmm. political activists and student sharehouses and things like that. Yeah. And then there's this other kind of force of development um, and we've seen towers going up but also just a change in the, the streets and the local shops go... Um, and then there's things like West Village, which almost tries to co-opt this idea of placemaking mm -hmm. with its, uh, its kind of PR spin. Mm -hmm. How does that, as a case study of, you know, the politics of place, what do you think about that? Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that we're seeing a form of placemaking that is... People think it's just, you know, the astroturf and the... Um, it's a certain kind of aesthetic of, of painted roads and street art and all of these things. Um, but if you're not actually involving people in the design process, then it's not really placemaking. And if you're creating places where certain groups of people don't actually feel welcome, then it's not placemaking. Um, and I think it's, it, it's interesting to blur that line between public and private space, and I think that you can, you can do placemaking on either, and you can create places and spaces where people feel like they can be but a lot of the time you know that gentrification that you're talking about it means that we're creating a lot of spaces where people need money to be there and i think that's a huge problem mm. and i think there was west end as we know it now didn't just appear like there was mm. a lot of people that made those things happen and you had things like housing co-ops and community organizations and things like that mm. um is that how does that differ from your idea of placemaking, those kind of ideas that 
um, that formed Western as we know it? I think it's really important and I tend to think about placemaking as almost like this invisible social layer that exists above all of those physical outcomes. You know, like it's really great to see this beautiful, like interpretive streetscape or whatever, but all of those things sort of come out of what exists in the social layer that is really unseen. So that's what we're doing as placemakers. We're sort of building up that that social layer. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Mm, um, so can you tell us a bit about some of the placemaking projects that you've been involved in? Yeah, um, so there was the one in the Valley that I just mentioned before. Um, that was pretty much a community resource mapping and site analysis kind of project. Um, and it was also working with landscape architects and kind of finding the middle ground of those two kind of practices. So that has resulted in a book called Negotiescapes, which um, you can find online. Um, and I've also just finished a project in Landsborough. And so that was um, working with a few different community groups um, and we'll see um, this streetscape that's been um, really inspired by the community's aspirations. So um, the things that were important to the community were um, heritage, being able to put on community events um, and greening and arts. And we'll actually see those things reflected in the Landsborough Main Street uh, when it's built over the next year or so. Um, and yeah, finally, I'm working with Toowoomba Regional Council on their review of the City Centre Master Plan at the moment. Mm. And so what's, how does placemaking affect the review of the Toowoomba Council Master Plan? <laughs> so Toowoomba Regional Council is doing some really great work trying to embed a lot of placemaking values into what they do. So one example um, that they would love to have is where in Europe they actually allow artists to put art installations onto the street but they have this little sort of sign symbol that is related to this this placemaking kind of um checklist so you know is it movable um you know is it safe for the community etc they just kind of fill out you know one pager about what this art installation is and as long as they've got that little sticker on their piece of art council workers know not to remove that that piece of art um and so just getting these little sort of um processes in place from a council level can really give a lot more sort of freedom to the community to shape their neighbourhoods. So rock on down. 
That is Hedley Johnson there with Rock On Down to Musgrave Park. Um, Musgrave Park, of course, not only a uh, great little park in South Brisbane there on the edge of West End where people hang out, but also a significant cultural place, um, a place where Aboriginal people have gathered over many decades now, people coming um, from out of town or from the outer suburbs, um, before the times of online connection, it was where people turned up to meet Aboriginal people. They used the kind of informal family connections to track down who they were looking for by turning up at Musgrave Park and things like that, um, which are a really uh, in- interesting way of when we talk about place and what it means. Um, that place has so much symbolism beyond beyond even though that kind of history, the fact that political um, campaigns and camps have been there, the Commonwealth Games protest in 1982 or the tent embassy in 2012 or other things um, that have happened there imbue that place with a sense of meaning beyond the fact that it's just a a patch of grass in South Brisbane, you know. Um, And so a really interesting example of what we call placemaking and that track by Hedley Johnson, it's just a banger, you know. (laughs) Um, I did... Last week I played uh, Indigenous Intruders with Inala Still the Same and I think it's really great. Um, We've talked with Eloise as well, talked about Aboriginal sense of country and sense of place in in that interview and I think that is something that has, has lived on through Aboriginal culture, even through displacement and maybe even that's been... Uh, exacerbated by the sense of displacement and this longing for a place that you can control and call your own. And I think um, musically there's some great ones as well as that. Uh, I think of like Brisbane Blacks, the classic about Mop and the Dropouts, which also mentions Musgrave Park, or Kev Carmody has some great songs about, um, you know, sitting underneath Indrapilly Bridge or um, the burnt-out, Rooster and Ribs in south of the freeway in Logan um, and using these places to symbolise, you know, human connections or human feelings. And um, I think that's part of placemaking is recognising the value of our surroundings as so much more than just, you know, an empty space or a a thoroughfare that we move through on our way to uh, buy and sell more things in the great, you know... Uh, consumer movement um, to see that actually all these places have their own character and their own way of influencing us and um, we are always in a place and how we interact with that place is shaped by different factors but also uh, that place is shaped by, we affect that place as well. So um, as a bit of placemaking talk uh, yeah, bef- we were talking with Eloise Telford before that. Um, I've got a 
a bit of time. We I also spoke with Sophie Thompson about um, the Kangaroo Point blockade and the way that that use of space has transformed it. But um, we've got a bit of time, so maybe I will play another um, song about a Brisbane place. And let's stick somewhat with the theme. This is language warning on the band name here. This is Ah Fuck That from a few years ago with their song Slaughter My Aura, which is trying to tell the story of um, the history of our places. Uh, My Aura on Stradbroke Island, a place where many people would go and holiday and relax. But um, Ah Fuck That in this instance trying to remind people of the history and, in fact, the massacre of the Aboriginal people that happened there, which is another interesting when we remember spaces, we have to remember where they came from. And when we talk about just access to a space, well, it's worth remembering who, how our land was taken and how um, government came to be in control of land. So anyway, this is Slaughter My Aura. <laughs> Felt the 
That is Slaughter My Aura there by, <clears throat> ah, fuck that, um, on the Paradigm Shift. It is 20 to 1. You are with Andy. And I spoke this morning with Sophie, who has been involved in the Kangaroo Point blockade, one of the most notable transformations of a physical place in Brisbane in the very recent times, of course, Mind you, uh, the COVID-19 virus also did quite a significant transformation of physical place um, in the last few months as well. Um, But let's have a listen to a chat with Sophie about what difference uh, gathering in a physical space has made to the campaign to free or support the 120 uh, refugees locked up there. Could you start by introducing yourself? Yep, um, my name is Sophie. Um, I'm involved with um, Refugee Solidarity Mianjin um, and the Kangaroo Point Blockade. So for listeners who aren't aware, could you give us a quick overview of what the Kangaroo Point Blockade is? Yeah, so I guess um, a few months ago, um, the some people detained at the Kangaroo Point Detention Centre uh, started doing um, daily protests and a few of us started organising um, weekly exercise solidarity protests. Um, and this was during um, lockdown COVID restrictions. And this kind of, yeah, started getting momentum and um, every week more and more people were coming out and um, one day one of the detainees was um, about to get transferred to uh, another detention centre, the Brisbane Immigration Transit um, Accommodation Detention Centre and um, in response to that we decided to form a yeah, 24, um, 24-7 blockade um, around the detention centre to try and stop further transfers. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of refugee campaigns going on in this country, but one of the interesting things about this one is that as well as a campaign with objectives to get those men out of detention or get them ability to exercise, um, that it's also created a physical space uh, where a permanent occupation there at Kangaroo Point. How, mm. how important do you think this has been for this particular campaign, the fact that people are together in a physical space? Yeah, I, I think it's been um, integral to our campaign. It's created um, a really like radical space for people to learn about nonviolent direct action and... Um, to also be, you know, directly next to, um, yeah, the detainees at Kangaroo Point, it completely changes the dynamics and really, you know, connects you to the issue way more. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's um, been a really exciting space for a lot of people who um, are very new to activism. It's interesting that the connection that have been built with refugees. It's been very strong, hasn't it? There's been a lot of uh, contact between the people who are locked up inside, who have until quite recently been on Manus Island, so remote from everywhere, Mm. and the supporters around, hasn't there? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, also, like, additionally to that, we've been able to 
um, connect with the guys inside through music and um, poetry and I think like uh, we've heard from them as well that it's they've been told for so many years that um, people on this continent don't care about refugees that they're not welcome and to see people that are willing to man a, a 24-hour blockade has been so impactful for them and has given them a lot of hope i guess mm. you also you kind of alluded there that it's been an empowering space for people who've come and joined mm. it does require people to come and get on board and develop skills having a physical space to maintain doesn't it in a way that maybe other ways of campaigning doesn't yeah i think it's um way more accessible as well um because often like when you see events on um, facebook or you see a rally that's advertised um yeah I, i guess there's like less incentive to go um whereas this blockade it's created um yeah, a whole space and community um, and I think a really great way for people to um, learn about radical politics and um, and show the power that we have in um, actually directly stopping the um, really violent regime that the Australian government has enforced. Mm. Well, that's been one of the other interesting things, I guess, is that the the blockade has shown how our space is contested even public space or even before mm-hmm. the permanent blockade there were with covid laws there were issues and then there's been things about council fighting against notices of intention to hold protests and just the mm-hmm. there's it's shown the power dynamics over that space hasn't it yeah for sure and uh, and you know early on in the blockade we would have regular um, visits from QPS giving mass move-on orders and them going at extreme lengths to try and clear us from the space. And, uh, yeah, I think it's been really amazing to see um, people willing to keep coming back and keep keep finding loopholes and, yeah, resisting these um, laws. Mm. How do you think the protest would have played out if if it hadn't been for that physical presence do you think things would have played out differently in this campaign yeah i think um people will probably feel less connected to our friends inside stories and uh i think and I, i think like potentially the campaign would have not have gained as much traction and people and and yeah just gone out of their um line of thinking and it would have been way more easy to kind of move on with their daily lives um but i think this blockade has changed that's become a huge part of a lot of people's lives and uh, yeah a lot more people are invested in in it and i think the way that it's been set up has meant that um a lot of new people have been able to um, be involved in community organising and not just attend a rally and take orders from, you know, organisers and, and just, like, march on a rally and just go home. It's it's something that's been integrated into their daily life, which I think, yeah, has really changed things for a lot of people. It's empowering, isn't it, taking responsibility yeah. for a place? Mm, yeah, definitely. Mm. 
It's interesting, like, the idea of refugee policy for so long in Australia being to hide people, you know, before Manus and Nauru, it was Woomera and Baxter or Christmas Island, these faraway mm. places. And I guess the physical presence there, even before the blockade, the refugees had been there for a year, but there it wasn't mm-hmm. marked. People didn't know that they were there. It does bring into the open and bring and keep at the forefront of our mind what could easily be forgotten or hidden away, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's um, really uh, yeah. It, it's so crazy that this um, detention center has been right in the middle of um, the city and in suburbia and uh, and I think that it, it's showing to people um, the fact that, you know, borders are arbitrary and this construct that we have and the way that, yeah, that the Australian government has been so calculated in the way that they uh, treat refugees so that it is less visible and um, the public can easily forget about the issue. Mm. It's like the way that what was just a normal part of the neighbourhood once upon a mm. time now has become this place of detention and there's gradually more yeah. and more borders being put up all the time. There's a fence and now refugees have been moved yeah. to where they can't see the protesters and it shows mm. the the way that space is kind of controlled, the way that mm. borders are put up by those in power. Um, yeah, they obviously didn't dare do their planning when they chose to set up a detention centre in the middle of a Greens electorate. <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, so there's difficulties in maintaining a space as well, isn't there? I guess, but can we talk a bit about uh, things that have been hard about trying to keep that space? Mm. Um, yeah, well, I guess um, some things that have happened over the few weeks is that... Um, that Serco has implemented, you know, like barriers and walls within the hotel to obscure our view into the hotel. Um, they've also like replaced all the fencing, and um, yeah, the um, police have been um, going at great lengths to uh, restrict like the areas that were able to be on the blockade, and have been giving like regular move on orders to people and um, places that we have like set up structures around the blockade. Um, we've had to like repeatedly take down and reset up in different spots. And yeah, I, I think that the, those have been like really big challenges, but have built a lot of resilience in the movement and, and, and people organizing. And, and I think a lot of, um, New activists are just saying that um, challenging um, these power structures are actually quite... They can be difficult, but also, like, anyone can do this. And um, anyone has the tools to be able to challenge the state. Mm. Thanks very much, Sophie. One Sunday morning as I went walking by Brisbane's waters I chanced to stray I heard a prisoner his fate bewailing As on the sunny river banks he lay I am a native of here and Thailand Transported now 
from my native shore They told me from my aged parents And from the maiden whom I adore I've been a prisoner at Port Macquarie At Norfolk Island and Emu Plains At Castle Hill and Cursed to Gabby Settlements I've worked in chains But of all places I've found damnation And penal stations Of New South Wales Of Morden Bay I have found no equal Excessive tyranny Each day prevails For three long years I was beastly treated on my legs I wore My back from flogging Was lacerated And often slain With my crimson gore And many a man From downright starvation Lies bordering Underneath the clay And Captain Logan He had us mangled At the triangles And Egyptians and ancient Hebrews We were oppressed under Logan's yoke Till a native black lying there and ambush Did give our tyrant his mortal stroke My fellow prisoners exhilarated That all such monsters a death shall find And when from bondage we're That is Bernard Manning there of a uh, little Brisbane band called Powderfinger, who um, you may remember named one of their albums after Vulture Street, um, uh, well-known street in Brisbane, not far from where the Kangaroo Point Refugee Blockade is, in fact. Um, but there he is singing Morton Bay, which I think is probably the first song in English language at least to reference um, Brisbane in name. Um, so that is what we've been playing today. I love songs about places. I, I'm fascinated by the idea of places and how we interact with them, how they interact with us. Um, and so it's been nice playing all these uh all these songs. Um, and before that, we were speaking with Sophie Thompson from uh, the Refugee Solidarity, Brisbane Mianjin, of course, Mianjin, an Aboriginal word for the CBD here in Brisbane, which has come to refer to when we try to talk about Brisbane beyond um, the colonial construct or maybe use words that aren't the name of... Uh, governor of New South Wales who declared martial law on Aboriginal people in the 1820s, Thomas Brisbane. And so, again, another way that we interact with place. It's a a fascinating topic, and I think that um, the Kangaroo Point blockade has been a really interesting example of the power of 
changing places to change us you know it's um been something that by its presence has had a number of uh, effects as we heard from talking with sophie there i did write an article actually about the politics of space using that kangaroo point blockade as a bit of an example i'll post that link on the paradigm shift facebook page where you can go on there um, and look at things. We'll also do, of course, on the Fortress Ad website, you can listen to old episodes, including last week when we spoke to David Engwich about placemaking and played more songs about Brisbane places, actually. Um, so do that. And, of course, Fortress Z, besides um, putting on radio shows and having a website where you can listen to old radio shows plays a vital role in forming its place brisbane we play local music talk about local current affairs um and local issues the announcers are local people and supported by local businesses and so it's a a part of shaping brisbane into the place we want to be and so keep supporting four triple z keep tuning in if you have the capacity to volunteer look into doing that but of course the easiest way you can support is by subscribing and is Radiothon coming up next week. So if you subscribe, you can win some great prizes. The theme for this year's Radiothon is House Party. Um, I'm going to go out with one more song about a Brisbane place. Um, this is a rapper. He's causing a bit of a stir. His name is Lissy, and he very proudly reps the postcode 4300. That is Goodner in Western Brisbane. Um, actually, tune into the new releases show. You'll find me writing a review of a different album by El Fresh the Lion about the way hip-hop sings about places and the way it relates to places. But anyway, here is Lissy from Goodna. See you next week. Yeah, let me tell you about home. It's more than a place I'm from More than a place where you think I belong More than a hood that I rep But my songs, I come from Goodna A little town unknown Sitting on the front line of Ipswich And if you do your research Goodna's a town the first rep Before three districts But don't get it twisted It's not a place where drilling is normal When people be urchin We hold it down Cause we come from a place Where people feel like they don't have purpose I'm trying to change that Reframe that Mindset that we won't excel Society will always hate And then we'll spread shit Just like Microsoft Excel But still we prevail And produce individuals That's climbing the ranks No matter on a mic on a field in the cage, we put up the 4-3 to always give thanks, cause it's the place that made us, raised us, saved us, 4-3 down to the bone, tell them what I'm talking about when I rip it loud, this is more than a place called home, 4-3's a lifestyle, and that's something they have to know, it's not just a subway but I reside, it's the heart I carry everywhere I go, so they have to know. That it's more than a place I'm from It's embedded in my blood And I'm always gonna hold it down To the day that my lifetime's done I told them I got this As a young brown man Coming up in the world is tough They recognise me They put me in a factory And expect me to think that's enough Or tell them get stuffed I'll be on the rise Till I say it's enough I come from a town Where there's no good luck We always work hard And we never give up Even when we feel like that We don't have much And that's facts That's why I stand for my community Always making the most of opportunities For a greater purpose Than you and me Because it's all for the place I'm from No jumper on But I raise my hood up It doesn't matter where I be 
I'll always be that young kid coming straight out of good Nah man, this place is where my people live and die Brother, I could never lie, we're all different on the side But they never knew that This place is the place where mates soon turn into brothers This my home G-Town, I'ma hold it down for that west side 4300 They can talk about running the ball, but who's actually out there running? I give props to our boys, Thomas, Mikaele and Philip Sami And if they wanna throw down with us, who out there wants to beef with those souls? They don't know about them 4-3 hairs like Ezra James and Bolo Alcuso See that's 4-3 excellence, my town stay down, stay proud, that's why we represent And my people stay messaging, they love how I hold it down, no questioning I'ma stay down for my home, even if this is a place where struggle's known I'ma let them know, that we're gonna roll through ripping that 4-3 double O Cause it's G-O-O-D-N-A, good numb, and it runs in my DNA We never had much, but still we grind until the day comes when we see that pain And I never ever sit back, pulled on for my town when I did that And now I think about the kids, how they're coming up and all I wanna do is give back See they know me as Lissy, but I guarantee I never did this all on my own I owe it to the people who surrounded me, and the place we lived in that always kept us close So listen when I say, where we're from it's not much, but let it be known 4-3 double O, I told you my also a small dollar place called home ah.